Hello, and welcome to this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mosk, and Jennifer Mace. On this episode, we're discussing The Rundown Job, which is Season 5, Episode 9 of the show Leverage. Always starts the same with a boy and a girl, a white-collar fanfic by Light Gets In, and a Star Wars fanfic, Didn't Know How Lost I Was, by Anakovsky. Hello, and welcome to episode 19, You and Me and Our Boyfriend Makes Three. I'm Alex, and I'm a Ramos Gin Fizz, high-maintenance, time-consuming, and made of raw egg. I'm... Do you want her to explain the raw egg thing? I, 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 we can get to that later. <laughs> I'm Freya and I'm a Manhattan. Classic, classy and just a tiny bit bitter. Well, I am Macy and I have been informed that I am the Tom Collins one. I just drink what I'm told. It's true, she does. <laughs> she takes pictures of cocktail menus and we tell her what to drink. That's it's, true. It's true. Listen, y'all have good taste and you have yet to steer me disastrously wrong. <laughs> we are three redheaded fantasy authors. And today we're talking about OT3s. That's one true threesomes for those of you not fluent in fanfic lingo. And we'll get to that in a moment. But first, what are we reading, fellow serpents? I'm going through a stint of reading a lot of things by Australian creators. So I'm reading a anthology called Mother of Invention by Tansy Rayner Roberts and Rivka Raphael of the editors. And it's about robots and artificial intelligence created by people other than men. Hmm. So it's got a lot of things to do with gender and the act of creation, uh, as you can tell by the title. Uh, I also just finished The Beast's Heart, which is a retelling of Beauty and the Beast by Leif Shalcross. And I'm currently in the middle of City of Lies by Sam Hawke, which was brought out by Tor recently. Hmm. This book is amazing. It is the world building is so fantastic. I love the characters. I love the setup. It's so tense. I'm like six chapters in. I'm already like, ah, I have to know what happens. I love these people. I love awesome. everything. There's descriptions of food. Go and get this book. It's it's fantastic. Wonderful. I think you might have already gotten me to go get it. I think so. I think that that might have happened. Um, I have been reading many, many books because I was traveling. Um, and I read like three books in the last wow. week or something ridiculous. But in particular, I devoured Banalus by Carrie Vaughan. And I don't know if either of you guys have heard about this one. Mm-mm. No. It is a soft murder mystery book, entirely non-speculative, except for how it is set after the apocalypse. Ooh. And it's like the hope punk apocalypse where they have figured out how to make it work and there's like a little community of villages and they walk back and forth and they have new rules and it's sort of set in the pacific northwest and it's very gentle and it would be entirely unremarkable if it weren't for the fact that they basically built a society up from nothing in which to have this murder mystery yeah and so i really enjoy it oh and tomorrow i will be reading ada harper's a treason of truths which is just about to come out and it has um lesbian spymaster it has a lesbian spymaster empress story and um it's like fealty romance 
plants. And Ooh. there's a plant doggo, which is a zombie dog made of plants, I am informed, and I can't wait. That sounds like your thing. I'm excited for this. And I am uh, slowly making my way through a history book that I think I mentioned last episode, 1688, A Global History. I started listening to the balance arc of the Adventure Zone for like the third time, I think. And most importantly, I have been binge watching that Chinese drama that Freya mentioned last episode, Guardian. And I'm up to tw episode 25 and it's terrible and I love it passionately. Listeners, if I was a slightly different type of person, this would be where I would say, I told you so. And but if I, I were a slight, if I were actually like exactly the person whom I am, I would say, fuck off, Freya, let's go to the episode. <laughs> Listen, the thing to point out here, though, <laughs> is that Alex is about twice as far along as either myself or Freya and has like yep. swiftly overtaken us in the like obsessiveness counter, I guess. Yep. Yep. Peak Alex. Yep. That is the Alex Roland story. <laughs> That, that is the, the brand. That's the brand. There we go. Uh, speaking of the brand, uh, and my brand specifically, we do have one more thing to mention before we go on, and it is the Fun Facts Serpent News Corner. This episode comes uh, goes up on October 10th. On October 23rd, my book, A Conspiracy of Truths, comes out. And I am so excited for you to read it. If you haven't, if you mysteriously somehow have not heard about it yet, it is a fantasy novel about fake news. And it's about a storyteller who gets arrested on charges of witchcraft, accidentally indicts himself as a spy, and starts a civil war from inside his jail cell. If that sounds like your sort of thing, and it should, it would be really, really helpful to me if you go pre-order it, if you tell your friends, if you wreck it to your library. Uh, every little bit really, really helps. He is uh, way too disastrous to be anything but quietly bisexual, I'm assuming here. Uh, yeah, he's uh, a romantic and bisexual. It's the pure disastrousness that I think is inarguable, yeah. though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. absolutely. I am very excited for this book. I'm a terrible serpent friend and have not read it yet, but that is because I am waiting for the magical traveling arc to, to land in my hands so I can read it and, like, scribble exclamation marks as I get through it. I'm so excited for you to read it. So yes, go pre-order the book. Uh, and also one more small thing. Like I said, this episode goes up on October 10th. We record the episode 20 extravaganza on October 12th. So you have two days to send in questions. This is your very last chance until we get to the episode 30 extravaganza. So send in those questions and we will be taking them in uh, at the email address serpentcast at gmail.com or on Twitter or Tumblr whatever is convenient for you guys. I know I said email before, but send them in wherever. Or you could not and let me teach Alex hyperdimensional mathematics. Please don't. Listeners, <laughs> please save us from this. Oh God. Oh God. You threatened this last time. I did. Oh God. All right. I'll get my bill <laughs> let's, move, let's move on to the episode, shall we? <laughs> thank Fine. you. Thank you, speaking, Freya, yes. Speaking of multidimensional mathematics. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> Excellent segue there. Geometry. Oh, tell us about some geometry, Macy, since you're the expert oh here in this gosh. witchcraft. I am going to ask you some questions about geometry, namely, what are our terms and what do they mean? No one told me that there was going to be a test. <laughs> well, when we say OT3s, I think I'm happy for us to discuss more than just threesomes in this particular episode. So we're talking about essentially polyamorous relationships of various kinds. And I think if you're thinking about the way that they are portrayed in fiction then you, and obviously also the ones that occur in real life. Uh, you've got balanced triads where there's a three-person relationship where each member is in a relationship with the other two people 
Uh, you have V relationships where you have one person who's then in a relationship with two people who then do not have a romantic relationship themselves. You have the various ways that you can uh, negotiate four people or more people in a relationship. So there's a lot of different ways this geometry can work out. There, there is a lot of like graph theory involved in polyamory. What? I'm told, I am told reliably by polyamorous friends that the advent of Google Calendar yes. made polyamory a whole lot easier. It's all about scheduling. I mean, and I will say, I think um, for our purposes in this episode, I would like to focus a little bit on the OT3 space because I, think for me fictionally what works better here is when it's a unit and once you get past three people it starts getting a little bit trickier to have a relationship where you're considering all of the arms and branches in like something book or movie sized it just gets to be a lot mm -hmm. i have written fanfics involving five people i know freya was... but you are literally <laughs> spiders georg here so <laughs> i am i am spiders georg of the polyamory fanfic i went to ao3 for purposes of this episode and looked at my list of fandoms and realized that i have written ot3s or morsoms in 10 separate <laughs> fandoms you're Wonderful. welcome internet <laughs> you're welcome well i i think it's also probably worth speaking a little bit about the ot3 Thing in fandom and what that is and means. So the acronym itself mm. is One True Threesome, and it used to be a thing that was really used for canons where there was a really clear three-person grouping that worked as a triad in canon as friends or partners or colleagues and had a really good dynamic and then ended up getting slashed. A little bit like you would have an OTP, a One True Pairing, which not every pairing is an OTP, and not every fanfic threesome is an OT3 or like a natural extension of a triad from canon. Would mm -hmm. is mm, is absolutely. that definition kosher? I I don't know. Yeah, Macy, I would agree. One true pairing is like the the pairing that's like closest to your heart, the pairing that like you love best, your most favorite thing, and that's different from just any pairing. And yeah, so OT3 is kind of the same. I feel like people use OT3 more often and more generally than they use OTP because OTP is generally... become a good I think it's become an easy shorthand I yeah. agree though that when I initially start using it and where it came from is when people look at canons and say well actually I there isn't one pairing that I that is my the pairing of my heart or that I prioritize here for me the most satisfying relationship in this is a threesome mm-hmm but you're right, I think it's become a quick shorthand because OT3 is very easy to type and easy to say. I think that it is uh, something that's shifted linguistically, which you see a lot in fandom. Um, OTP has shifted, uh, certainly I see it used a lot more for people saying, this is my OTP for this fandom, as opposed to them personally having a one true pairing globally. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I do think that both OTP and OT3 are a lot about the relationship with canon. Uh, tell me more. I think that you couldn't say that you have an OT3 if they never talked in canon, even if you think that they would get on really well and make a really good group. Yes. Yes. I, so. I see. Yeah. <laughs> I see more OT3s happening because of a canon dynamic being depicted. Well, I was going to ask, Freya, you said that you've written a ton of these. I was wondering if you could talk yes. to us a little bit about why you love them. Excellent. Thank you for asking, Macy. My answer will be in three parts. <laughs> we did not plan this at all. <laughs> I'm going to take this moment to go make another cup of tea, and I'll be back in half an hour. <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> no, this is not going to be one of my wonderful painted monologues. There will be no bushfires except for bush fires. <laughs> <So just laughs> quote unquote. <laughs> How about dot points? Dot points, sure, guys. We're sure. very comfortable go, with those. Go, go, go. go. It's Faye's So essentially, the, re- the reason why I love OT3 so much, number one, they are very much a statement that love is greater than the biological reproductive imperative. Because you do not have to have two people who are in a relationship or are having sex because they are going to reproduce. And there's so many, like, you know, this is what the queer society is about as well. But certainly in terms of threesomes, it's a very clear statement that we're not just in this to reproduce as biological animals. Also, that family is more than the present-day nuclear unit. Yeah. And that's what you were saying, Macy, about this idea of a unit of people who work really well together, and that there are so many different ways that you can have a family and a close romantic emotional bond. But mostly it's because, for me, and this is bringing us back to why we are cocktails. Yes. A good threesome and writing a good threesome is like making a good cocktail or consuming a good cocktail. The more ingredients that go into it, the more interesting and complex and nuanced and delicious it is. But the more care you have to take in balancing those flavors and making sure that they all work well together. Mm. Or don't, if you really want to write a drama. <laughs> yes, I suppose if you wanted to, you could go really heavy handed with the bitters and then and who knows what would happen. There, look, done. No more monologuing. See? See? Amazing. Easy. That was incredibly, I'm very <laughs> impressed with you, Freya. Great job. We are all growing as people. I was just yeah. reaching about that same joke. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, shall we discuss this in the context of some of our TED polls? Sure, and I think that you were going to walk us through uh, one of like my all-time favorite canon, semi-canon, mostly oh, canon, largely God. canon. Come the fuck on, it was canon. The come creator on, said it was canon. The creator said but it was canon. Fact. So word of God. Canon, OT3. Canon, yes. Canon. Yes. So, uh, if you haven't already guessed, dear listeners, we are indeed talking about Leverage, uh, which is a wonderful show about heists, heists and, and cons and con artists. And they are, they're the sort of Robin Hood con artists where someone, every episode, someone comes to them and they've been cheated by someone powerful and they have to. Uh, or and they're asking the the con artists to help get justice for them in some way, uh, whether that's monetary compensation or some kind of like symbolic restitution. And this episode in particular, uh, the rundown job is actually they're not helping one person. It's more a save the world kind of uh, situation because they discover that a bad guy has gotten his hands on the uh, flu, the influenza uh, that swept the world in 1918, or was it 1912? Look, the biology of this episode is a little bit dodgy, so just go it with, is, but it's yeah, dangerous flu. They, it's dangerous flu. It's super virus. Super yes. virus, there you go. And they have to track it down before the bad guy sets off the bomb that would, that would release this virus into the world, and... Obviously, they save the world, and it's great. The wonderful thing about this episode is that the two annoying characters in the show are not there. Oh, I will fight you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Give me. I don't I, like Nate and Sophie. I, I don't. I love. I love oh, Sophie. I love Sophie. <laughs> <laughs> Sophie. 
be no so one, wonderful. No one stands up for Nate. But like, I love no my one precious English terrible actress grifter wife. She's okay sometimes, like 50% of the times, so, but she gets on my nerves faster than any of the others. That's fair. Except I mean, Nate. Okay, Nate is constantly on my nerves. The, so I think the thing with this show also is it's hugely into found family, and basically there's a five-person yes. found family, and it doesn't yes. really matter what this episode's heist is about. The really important thing here is it carves off the three junior members of that found family. Yes, and who in the, the crew are the hitter, the hacker, and the thief. And apparently, according to word of God, uh, the creators say that they were in an OT3. Two of them are dating in canon, but the other the, one is always there. It's totally... The final, the finale, the final episode of the show is incredibly OT3 endgame mm-hmm. in terms of the one who's not in the technical official relationship swearing to protect them and be there <laughs> for him until his dying day. My heart. And... <laughs> it's so good. It's beautiful. The thing that this episode does really well is uh, break out each of the arms of the graph. Alex, because it's graph theory, <laughs> takes each of the pairings amongst the three of them and gives them weight on screen and gives them a moment to connect and be uh, and show the audience why this pairing matters and is important outside of the three of them together, as well as the three of them together being important. Yes, uh, the moment between uh, Hardison and Elliot is the get me there, you're the smartest man I know moment. The moment between Hardison and Parker is, I would say, the kiss for luck bit. What's the one between Parker and Elliot? The moment when Parker takes the uh, suitcase out of the train and is going to do something self-destructive. <gasps> yes, and Elliot, she and Elliot just like look at each other and like silent nod. Because they have a thing earlier in whatever the episode was where they fell down that crevasse, mm-hmm. where we kind of learn that Parker and Elliot will do the hard thing to get things done, even if it means that they might not make it back. And they will do that to protect Hardison, who is the cinnamon roll. I especially love the way that the Elliot's relationships with them are particularly contrasted and mm. the way that he as a character behaves differently with Parker and with Hardison because his relationship with Hardison starts off quite antagonistic. Yeah. In the beginning. And and then it becomes this sort of fond, broy, you know, they understand each other but they tease each other a lot and he especially teases Hardison a lot. And this episode is one where you actually see the depth of feeling and family and appreciation and respect and how much he respects Hardison's skills it actually runs underneath that but with Parker he treats her not necessarily gently but in a very respectful and careful way because he understands the the extent to which they are the same mm-hmm. and he, he doesn't have the same teasing relationship with her but they clearly un- just get each other on a level that doesn't require much conversation and I think I'm which going- I love watching. I think I'm going to counteract my earlier statement that it doesn't matter what the heist is. Um, I think there's one part of this that it does matter what the heist is in this episode, which is that I want to say this is one of the few times, other than the crevasse, where we really believe their lives are in danger. Yes. Like, that's not normally how leverage episodes go. They're usually, like, high monetary stakes, but not high uh, risk stakes. People aren't dying. Like, this episode opens with a near assassination, and it just keeps going. Mm, and I think and its place in that final season, so it's episode nine of the fifth season, is such that it then throws us into the end of the show with heightened emotional stakes. Because you're right, Leverage isn't a very serious show and the stakes 
emotionally have especially for these three characters mm -hmm. have not been particularly high yeah. i mean nate keeps having these fake high emotional stakes to do with blah blah man pain but these three characters this is the first time that they really get ratcheted up in terms of the intensity so this one and also the um the grave yes the grave digger or the the, the funeral home job um and the, and the ice few one. and the ice one yeah there's a few episodes of actual physical danger in the later seasons and each one of them does something very particular in uh knitting together the emotional currents of these three characters and so by the time you get to the end game it's absolutely crucial that they're together you can't imagine them going off in, in different directions they have to do it all together now i wonder if to build the weight of an ot3 you have to have media that's as long as a tv series or a series of books like the harry potter um triad to really examine all of those angles i think so you have to have some inbuilt work the work has to either be done slowly or if obviously if you're doing it in fan fiction then you are building on somebody else's work you are simply drawing over the lines that connect these people but a lot of the groundwork has been laid for you and i would agree i think if you're building an ot3 from scratch you either have to have convince your reader or your audience that there is some pre-existing groundwork or you have to put in a lot of time um i had a point that i was going to add on but i got distracted by freya's point which was so good yeah i don't think that i have anything to add on to what freya said like i'm just sorry i'm having like such such a good time like listening to you guys i'm like wow my wives are so smart this is good <laughs> we, we are the true ot3 guys there that's we true go. that's true the OT3 all right is uh, so should we move on yes, yes. let's yep so moving on then to oh i remember what my point was i'm so sorry <laughs> <A> disaster <laughs> uh, i just wanted to i'm sorry uh i just wanted to add that i think that leverage in particular and in particular this episode is really really good at depicting an ot3 that is more stable together as an ot3 than any single pairing between two of them would be absolutely i think that the the third person in this group grounds the other two i think that in some situations like you have a a triad where it's a little bit off balance it doesn't quite work with the third person but this is one where having those three points makes it so much stronger than two and that is geometry again because you know triangle is always more stable and only having two legs see also bicycles exactly. that was actually used in canon that um not not this canon but it was used in the last raven boys book when Maggie Steve Butter randomly introduced a new character and just added her to an added him to an existing pairing and was like it's more stable with three and all the fan went what oh my goodness okay yes <laughs> I, I mean I think I, this, I was actually trying to bring this back though to your point earlier about cocktails which is um you take more care when you add more ingredients uh you take more care when you add more characters to balance it out I think a lot of times authors and creators don't take a ton of care when they smush people together in pairings mm -hmm. and you might find that any one romantic pairing isn't actually all that stable or good for one another i find this a lot when i'm reading a book with a romantic pairing i'm like actually you guys are really doing bad things to one another's lives was this a good yeah. idea i posit that if you were writing an original piece and had full control over those characters you could almost always generate a third person who would fix whatever that imbalance was Mm -hmm. it's true you have to take you have to take more care and, and i think because the whole unless you're writing something in a society where these kind of relationships are expected or mundane there's always an element of 
conscious choice to do something unusual because it is the best fit for you. Yes. So there's a lot of fix and a lot of stories where the whole point of getting together is negotiation and thinking, well, actually, maybe I can love more than one person and having that self-discovery, meaning that you end up with something very stable and solid because they've all put in the work. Yeah, like the personal internal work. And I think that the next pairing or unpairing triplets that we're going to discuss, I would say that in canon, um, the there's one side of the relationship that already exists in canon and the third party brings something that's kind of needed to that pair. What would you think, Freya? I would agree. I would agree. This is definitely one of those canons that I believe that threesome works much, much better. So what we are talking about is a fanfic called Always Starts the Same with a Boy and a Girl by Light Gets In. This Which is one of my favourite fanfics of all time. It is a fanfic so for the good. show White Collar, which I had only seen half an episode of White Collar before. Back in the old days of Live Journal, I leapt onto my Live Journal and immediately started screaming at the top of my lungs about how beautifully OT3-ish <laughs> this show was. So briefly, it is a show about a married couple consisting of uh, an FBI agent and his amazing caterer badass wife and the chaotic so bisexual cool. con artist that they adopt into their marriage. <laughs> this is yep. basically true. He is like their second dog. Except in, in a more like, let's have sex with him way. <laughs> I, I had never seen any white collar until about a month ago when I watched like, I think I watched like literally three episodes and I had to stop and go read a bunch of fanfic because I was like these three people need to be banging yes yeah. yes and in this particular fic it is an AU of the basic setup the basic setup in the show is that Neil is a con artist Peter is the FBI agent who has been chasing him and has now caught him and because of reasons has had him attached to the FBI as a white collar crime consultant <laughs> in order to make him behave. Because it takes and a thief to catch a thief. Because it takes a thief to catch a thief. Uh, and he has been chasing Neil for seven years and totally they are completely obsessed with each other. And Peter's wonderful wife, Elle, is mostly bemused and charmed by this gorgeous con artist who, has, who their husband, her husband has dragged into their life. <laughs> but this fic begins the triad in a different way. So this one says that what if before Peter met Elle, Neil had met Elle when she was working at an art gallery and convinced her to run away with him and join his life of crime. And so Peter then becomes the FBI agent who is chasing both of them. Mm -hmm. And this story is just so delightful. It does beautiful things with the canon details. It tells a really satisfying story. My favorite part of this fic was when at like two o'clock in the morning, Elle calls Peter because Neil hasn't come home. And so she she just calls this FBI agent who's chasing them, <laughs> just calls him out of the blue, like, hey, have you seen Neil? Do you have him? Like, did you did you get him? Because he hasn't come home. I need to know where he is. My and he's favorite like, part. No, I don't no. know where he is. And then immediately starts looking for him. My favorite part is their idea of flirting with the FBI agent is to break into his house when he's not there have dinner, have sex in his bed, and then leave him, like, must sheets and a half bottle of wine and arrange it so that he comes home to find the bed still warm. And I was like, bless you, this is so kinky and amazing. Bless I love you this is not quite the sentiment there. It 
was beautiful. It was beautiful. That's such a good it pick. God. And I think that this is the thing that I think Neil brings to their marriage in canon, which is Peter is really very staid and Elle is really very not. And I could see that that over time would start to wear on that marriage. But Neil brings this sense of fun and adventure that Peter really needs jammed into him in some place or other. And he he finds it really irresistible from, from Neil. And Elizabeth is very sensible and warm and loving and i don't think that she pushes peter very much but neil absolutely does and what they provide for neil is a grounding a family a Mm -hmm. home yeah and a sense of something that he can belong to and he doesn't have to always be on the run and i do like the way that this flips that slightly and says okay if neil already has a home in the form of a relationship that travels with him that's loving and wonderful and has someone who's slightly more sensible than (laughs) he is but still prone to rappelling out of buildings if she has to then it's much more about as you said macy injecting that fun and that sense of adventure into peter's life and presenting peter with an alternative to something that he could want and so they end up abducting him into into their life of crime right this is not the we will tame and adopt the con artist and reform him which is kind of what canon is this yeah. is we will free the state SBI agent from his boring life and bring him away on adventures with us. And a dog. Oh, and crime. So good. <laughs> <laughs> so much crime. Why is there so much crime in this episode of Serpent Cast? Like what did we do this by accident? I don't well, know. Does crime crime makes threesomes somehow? I, okay, that's our full quote. Crime, don't do crime, children. You'll have a threesome. Or do. I mean, or do. Okay. Again, Serpent Cast does not mm. officially endorse criminal activity. But, Please and thank but you. we will endorse threesomes if that's what you're into. Sure. <laughs> I love you guys. Anyway. Um, Freya endorses threesomes and Freya is the doctor so Freya is allowed to do that yes, yes. <laughs> medically medically endorsed threesomes they're good for your health <laughs> good for threesomes health. they prevent cancer <laughs> a threesome anyway. a day keeps the doctor away <laughs> that's ambitious yeah. <laughs> let's move the fuck on shall we the last thing I will say about this particular fanfic is that it can do a lot of that relationship work that's required for those three arms of the triangle in a short amount of time because it is fanfic because we're already sold on the fact that peter and elizabeth work as a solid married unit and so the fic is kind of winking at us and saying look here's a new way of getting together these two people that we already know are perfect for each other and it can devote the vast majority of its time to the Peter-Neil dynamic, which is what we love about the show, and the Neil-L dynamic, which is the most underdeveloped in the show. And I think that it's fascinating that this fic actually, if you read it as a work on its own, does the opposite thing, where the established, there is an established relationship, which you're right, makes it so much easier to build an OT3 when you basically are adding someone to a partnership. But the partnership here is L and Neil. L and that's the other one, and that's super cool. Yes. Can we talk super briefly about how obvious it is that Peter has a type and that type is huge and guileless blue eyes? Yeah. Because yep. because Elle and Neil have exactly the same enormous baby blue eyes and you know that Peter is weak for it. Yeah, they like are both very, very attractive human beings. Oh God, yes. And you oh look God, at yes. Neil and you're like, he's so beautiful. Yep. <laughs> 
But you look at Peter and you're like, how did you? I mean, Neil can get away with a lot of shit because he's beautiful. Peter is like sort of just like a guy. He just looks like a guy. He's just You know guy. that he is like, like a sex god in bed, though. <laughs> to land two people like Elle and Neil, you know it. Yeah, well, this this fic would agree with you. I mean, and mm-hmm. there's a thing in and, canon about um, his authority, his ability to be authoritative, and Neil clearly enjoying it and not entirely happy that he's enjoying it. Oh, yes. I have written <laughs> some fic about I that. Bet, I bet. I should go find that. But um, listeners, if you haven't watched this show, Peter spends a lot of time handcuffing Neil. Like, it's a thing. A lot of time. Mm-hmm. It's a, like just two a things. Yeah. Just like to himself. Um, just in general, handcuffing yeah. is a lot of stuff. Yeah. And it, it, the, the show goes some places in later seasons, but you can basically watch the first season as a beautiful, complete unit of television. I think that's all I watch. And it is yeah. delightful. Yeah, and I, I think you can get perfectly the idea of the particular OT3 from that season and then go and enjoy the yes. game. And all of the lovely suits. And our third and final tentpole is a Star Wars pick. Um, because there are many Star Wars, this is for the most recent canon. And this is, I guess, Poe slash Finn slash Ray would be my ordering. Mm-hmm. So it's set after Force Awakens, but before right. Last this Jedi. Was... So it doesn't take Last Jedi into account. It was written in 2016, I want to say, before that came out. And this is a delightful yep. fic called Didn't Know How Lost I Was by Anakovsky. And this fic is, it's not quite a classic PWP, but it kind of is. It's a do you want to? Six. Do you want to... Real quick, define PWP for anyone not fluent in fanfic lingo. Um, Let's call it Plot What Plot. Okay, yeah. There are many different acronyms for that one. I'm going with that one. Basically, it means a fic that isn't really trying to have an adventure or even necessarily a relationship plot, but is more about people having sex with other people. Which is great. Which is great. Yeah, and this in particular, as we talked about last week, well, well, last time we recorded, about using sexy fic to do something very in particular with character building and relationship building and that's what this this is a story about sex and it mostly comprises of people having sex but it's also relationship building the interesting thing about this fic is that even though it's 100 percent about people having sex it's not that sexy of a fic like you're reading it and you're not like oh that's very hot you're reading it and going like oh my god sweet babies (laughs) oh god cringe (laughs) so let me briefly summarize for you the plot of this fic if anyone recalls in the force awakens we come out of that with the hot pilot and the brand new just saved from the evil empire um former stormtrooper stormtrooper cadet and the i have been stranded on a desert planet that maybe doesn't have any other humans for my whole life space waif the plot of this fic involves finn's first boner after coming off of the suppressants uh, that the evil empire was feeding him and going to poe and being like what happened help Is it broken? Is it broken? The premise of this fic is so paper thin, but it's so good. The premise of this fic is that neither of the two babies have had any sex education whatsoever, and Poe is having such a headache but is resigned to fixing this so that their adorable romance can proceed unimpeded by the fact that they are both useless. And the two of them kind of using this to con Poe into accidentally being their third. And just to be clear, when we say no sex education whatsoever, that includes neither of them having any idea how to jerk off. Yeah. It's... yeah. I mean, this story could so easily have been 
kind of cringy, but the internal narration for Poe is just so good and so funny, and he's so turned on, and he really wants to help, and be a good but he doesn't person. want to get in the way. Yeah. That's so lovely. <laughs> Uh, so it's kind of a little bit more like a sex comedy than it yes. really is like a sexy yeah pick. that would be that's the genre of it's this sex pick, comedy sex rather comedy, than which porn. is delightful yeah yeah and it's relationship thick it's about how poe is attracted to both of them but kind of mostly just wants to help them learn how to be humans mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how they shore each other up and reassure each other and actually are good for one another through the metaphor of terrible or not terrible sex. Mm. Yeah. And for, as, look, as someone who has written sex involving three people and who quite enjoys the intellectual challenge of solving an equation with three variables, <laughs> I think that this, the sex writing in this is quite good. Like, you don't really have a, um, a confusion as to where different bits of people's anatomy are. Things are handled. You have a general sense. Things are handled. You know, things are handled. Yeah. <laughs> things are handled. How elegantly, wink, wink. how elegantly you phrase that, Freya. But yeah, you can really tell when someone has not spent a lot of time in spaces that do sex writing. I ended up in a weird situation where I was reading a author's unpublished erotica of their own characters. It was kind of dodgy but like you're not talking about the time that i sent you my unpublished erotica about my own characters are you no, that's great no. we like that <laughs> but like you forgot to take the pants off you forgot to take the pants off and no one had ever managed to beat her read it i guess they were distracted by the fact that there were boners and oh, yeah and the main characters the girl's name changed oh, in Lord. the middle of it <sighs> oh dear was that two people or three people just two still just two and didn't off. yeah because like writing threesome sex is like hard mode and I, I've yeah. known people to have different methods of trying to do the blocking of it. Mm-hmm. And some people do stick figure diagrams. <laughs> I've known people who have literally got their roommates to like, like play a game yeah. of twister, awkward twister <laughs> to try and work out where people are. I tend to just go for it and then get someone to read it and say, do you think that sounds like the leverage and the anatomy and like the angles <laughs> there? Does that seem reasonable to I you? Mean, Have I misplaced a hand somewhere? You already write your default sex scenes with the hard mode of like someone is injured. True. So as long as you don't yeah. try to combine I those. I don't think I've done that in my threesomes yet. That's Please coming. Don't take that as a challenge. I, I haven't so done that yet. Challenge accepted. So <laughs> I was waiting for someone to pick that one up. A. I just lay these things on the table for you. It's uh-huh. my gift. It's because you are the most, like, totally deadpan and never punning member of this trio. Never. Never. She's never. always serious. She brings, like, such an air of gravitas to this podcast. The thing is that that's true, but that's more of a commentary <laughs> on the two of us than anything else. Like... <laughs> anyway, enough about our three tent poles, air quotes, um, for this episode. Oh, God. Why oh, did you God. have to say that? <laughs> Oh, my mental image now. <laughs> we didn't put it in air quotes for the sex episode. I just want to point that out. You never said ha I tent think, poles. I feel like it's better in this one because we always have three. It's because we have three. Right, it would have been it. a little heavy handed for the sex episode. There we go. So the next section of this podcast is the serpents give us more poly in canon media, you cowards corner. Welcome. Basically Welcome that. to another new corner. Uh, so we had two fix this episode, which I don't think we've done before. Usually we have two pro uh, fix and one fanfic. And this episode we had two fanfics. Why is that? Because there's just not enough of Polly in especially speculative fiction. I think obviously you can find quite a lot of it in pro romance. 
you have to go looking for it. You have to look into the, the, the right tags and things, but programmers, <laughs> you can definitely find Polly. But in other published things that are not actually romance books and speculative genre books, where can we find this? I mean, I think that also a lot of the times this is a recurring source of annoyance for I know all of us and many of my other friends. SFF hasn't really spent much time world building different relationship or family structures True. in the way that it world builds magic, say, or like different economic structures yeah. or things like that. And I know, for example, uh, Cameron Hurley, ha in her Mirror Empire books at least, does a whole bunch of stuff with polyamory as a societal norm. Mm -hmm. mm. Um, My book, Conspiracy of Truths, has societal polyamory. Yay! And if you're looking a little further back, Ursula Le Guin's story, A Fisherman of the Inland Sea, uh, has a four-person marriage structure called the Sederetu, which it's very gender binary, so it involves two men and two women. And the relationships between, so you are in the marriage with someone from your moiety or either a, a, a morning or an evening moiety, and you cannot have sex with anyone of the same moiety. Uh, mm. But you will then have a relationship with the man and the woman in the other pairing. So it's almost like you have a sibling relationship with the other, with the person from your own moiety, which you then bring into the marriage and both of you two will then have a romantic sexual relationship with both the man and the woman. So bisexuality is assumed and the taboo is against sexual or romantic people of your same moiety rather than being of the same sex. And it's fascinating because I wonder how they would manage like human attraction. Yeah, well I mean it's an, it's a very interesting setup and I've read a couple of fanfics that take it as its basis as well and apply it to canons which is fascinating. And that's what I, I would like to see more of that in speculative fiction. I'd like to see more interesting uh, marriages and relationships and family units that are on the basis of that the two-person unit is not the natural and fundamental and basic unit of a romantic or sexual relationship. But I think that I would also like to see more canon media that uses triads and OT3s against societal norms, like the way that Black Sails does. Mm, that's true, That's the, they're very clearly put as in conversation with the, the norm. I I think that it's a really good way. I like both of these ideas. I completely support both of them because they are both examining our own society from two different angles and they're both kind of mm -hmm. interrogating. They're, they're both sort of interrogating the defaults and talking, making us do self introspection about whether that is... <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying here. Someone fucking help me. God. You're right. It's coming at it from two different directions. They're kind of challenging the Western default of what a family is yeah. and what, a, what your romance, the, the escalator of your life yes. as it comes to, to romances, which mm. I was wondering, is this a generational thing or is poly actually polyamory actually becoming more accepted in the mainstream or is this like a millennial thing or is this a queers thing because i'm way too like buried in the queer circles where polyamory is not seen as weird is somewhat seen as a default but i see this even on places like okcupid or other dating websites where non-monogamy at least when you start dating is considered to be the norm nowadays yeah like you're dating a bunch of people and then you're in a relationship with one person eventually possibly Right. Or maybe not. And certainly when when it's a queer relationship, that tends to be 
on the table and it's a conversation that you would have just like you would have any other early relationship conversation yeah. hey do you intend for this to come to a point of monogamy or not right what is the shape that you want to have this relationship be as we move forward into the future and I really like that that can be a conversation now about what the people in the relationship need as opposed to a default that you cannot deviate from and I want to see that in media mm. me too because even if the even if the answer is yes we want to be monogamous like you still have that conversation and it's a choice that you make rather than it just being like the thing that you do without thinking about it mm-hmm mm. and I think what you were saying about these two different types of things we'd like to see more of both making this the norm and making it's not the norm but happen anyway it's the same thing as having what do you feel like wanting do you want to read a resistance story or do you want to read a normalizing story? Right. Do you and, want to read an escapist where there's no homophobia or no racism? Mm. Or do you want to punch racism in the face? Yeah, and Black Sails and its two canonical poly mm -hmm. uh, threesome relationships are definitely punch the patriarchy and colonialism and all of that sort of stuff in the face with the fact of our queer threesomes. And I do love what it starts doing in like the second season onwards where it comes to terms with the fact that a lot of people did turn to piracy or other ways of being outside of society when they wanted to be queer, when they wanted to step outside of social norms because the norms were hurting them. Yes. Like the, uh, who's the, the gay pirate queen, the actual real one? There are many of them. It's but... not Ching Shi, was it? No, that's the Chinese one. There yeah. is another one in the Caribbean as well, but... I know a lot of pirate queens, but I don't remember a gay pirate queen. So when you are writing a triad or an OT3 or a morsum, you have to make that decision as to how you are going to be contextualizing it. Cause that does make a difference as to how you bring those together and how you start to build that relationship. So if you want to move slightly onto a craft section, yeah. now, we can talk about how, how do you do this? Yes. Cause I know that both you Freya and Alex somewhat less in depth and less like concretely were planning OT3 books. Yeah, like that's a thing that sounds like Freya you're actively kind of working on and it's a thing I have I have one that's sort of like simmering in the back of my head. And I think With it needs pirates. To, yeah, it's like a pirate and a cleric and a poet slash spy and uh, I'm really excited about it, but I think it needs to like simmer in the back of my head yeah. for like two years and develop a plot. So let's talk about Freya's. You can learn from all of my mistakes and tribulations as I am trying to plan my OT3. <laughs> yes, and then by the time we get to you. Listeners, this is exactly like, listeners, if you want to make it in the writing biz, find you a codependent author triad of your own. <laughs> That's Don't, true. You can't have these two. These two are mine. <laughs> you can't have these two. These two are mine. <laughs> The alternate subtitle Freya. of this episode. God damn it, Freya. You have to be codependent with us too. Freya! Say it, Freya. Oh, sorry. No, no. Nobody can have these two. These two are definitely mine. I, I can't yeah, do anything just... without them. They're going to build maps for me. Is good. Yes! See, we always have to bully Freya into showing us any kind of affection. <laughs> That's not true. I'm teasing. It's um, a little bit true, though. Talk to us about your book, Freya, my, di my darling. <laughs> my darling, my love. The book in question is the one that I'm planning to start writing for NaNoWriMo this year. Yay! So I'm very much in the planning stages. And as you will have heard through various episodes, especially the heist spreadsheet debacle of last episode, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am very much someone who likes to systematically plan how things are going to happen. And as we've said, you're building a cocktail, you've got a lot of moving pieces, you've got a lot of flavors, you have to put care and thought into how you build those relationships. 
So at the moment I have made the decision that one arm of this triangle, so it's going to be a balanced triad that's going to end up with three people in a relationship and one arm of it, so two people are coming into it with a pre-existing relationship that is not romantic. Isn't it? No, it has been sexual in the past. It is still sort of on and off sexual. One person has just realized they are in love with the other and is not coping with it well, capital letters. <laughs> and they are now being flung into a situation where there is an official relationship in the form of a semi-secret engagement between one of those people and the third person who is being brought into this triad. So there's a lot going on. <laughs> And I have, but I, when I, when I have been thinking about this and when I was yelling at Macy about it, when she was here, it was about what kind of dynamic do I want to have between mm -hmm. all of these people and what kind of romantic arc are they going to have? And because this one is not a romance capital R, it is actually a high fantasy novel. I can play a little bit more fast and loose with the traditional romantic beats, but I still want to use them, uh, if I, if I can but I have to do it three times rather than just once. <laughs> and I think that's part of why we see less of this. Like I was saying earlier, um, it's tricky to build a full OT3 that comes to the realization that they are a relationship, all three of them, in the space of a book. You have to be very efficient yes. and put these little beats in precisely and as cleanly and quickly as you can. And I do not have the time and space in this particular one to go through what we are building is abnormal. So I am putting them in a contextualized society, especially in the society where it is built on this particular island kingdom, where three-person marriages or three-person relationships are actually normalized. They may not necessarily be the most common, but at no point does there have to be a conversation that is, oh my goodness, is it possible to love one more person, more than one person, because it's already taken as a given that you can. When you are writing OT3s, it's not a situation of addition, it's about multiplication. Like when mm -hmm. things, when you have complicating factors, like Freya mentioned, the romantic beats, it's not doing one more romantic beat, it's multiplying romantic beats. It's like a, it's a much bigger issue. Is it matrix multiplication, Alex? I don't know what that is. We've talked about your witchcraft <laughs> shit before, Macy. I, I would say it's vector mathematics. Oh my god, you too now? Uh, vectors are matrices, Freya. Yes, yes, no, I Are hate you both in on this? <laughs> Was this whole episode just a cunning ruse to, like, inflict your witchcraft on me? I mean, always, Alex, Jesus. always. Okay, Freya, please, let's talk a little bit about how do you design personalities um, to make a complementary OT3? How do you pick their weaknesses and strengths? Do you... To, to, to work as a triangle. You can work backwards from where you want them to end up. So for my particular book that I'm planning at the moment, two of the characters are royalty who are going to be getting married and they need to be charismatic. They are trying to do certain, there's a certain amount of con artistry going on in this book as well. And I've decided that both of them are leaders, but neither of them are enormously charismatic. They have got a lot of natural ability to charm people. And that is what the third person is bringing into this relationship. So he is someone right. who has a lot of natural charm and a lot of ability to just sort of fluctuate and change. So he's, he is definitely more of a, a Slytherin secondary, if we're talk, going back to our taxonomies. And that is something that he brings in and allows, not in a coaching way, but he is someone who can show them a slightly different way to be and also how to be a bit more open with your self. When we're talking craft, um, listeners, it's 
really freeing to realize that you can tweak pieces of your character. Like once you get as attached as a writer as like to the core of them, understand which pieces of that character are core and which pieces can be tweaked gently. Because I know when we were working on Alex's vague idea back earlier in the year, part of it was we had these core of these three characters and then in order to make them complement and challenge one another, we would tweak the pieces that were unimportant to one but very important to another to make them work yeah, together. Linked it's together. Like, you can you can shave the edges of your puzzle piece until the three of them fit. Yes. But you need to understand what's important. Like Freya's saying, with these two are royalty, that dictates certain aspects of their character. Yeah. To make this really, really work, you have to do even more work on who each of them is as an individual. Mm -hmm. They have to be really strong in themselves. They can't rely on the relationship to give them a sense of identity. Otherwise, it gets unbalanced and weird. Which is the type of pantser that I am, is I can never plan plots, but I plan characters until I can like speak in their voice. I plan a lot. Yes. Yeah, and I think I, I can plan the major beats of a romance and of, a, of an emotional arc, but a lot of the time I won't have fully captured the voice of a character and quite worked mm. out all of those more fluctuating parts of their character until I'm about a third of the way into the book because mm -hmm. I have to write in a voice for a while before it will solidify properly for me. And this is going to be an interesting one because I will be writing from three different points of view. It's going to be fun. <laughs> It'll be great. It'll be great. And I'll be trying It'll to be produce you know, 1,600 words a day. So yeah, don't expect too much from me in November. I will be It'll at be a fun. simmering point of semi-delirium the entire time. Well, it's same. fine. Well, so will both of same, us. Yes, same. we're all doing nano. It's going to be We're all doing fun. nano, yes. We, we have some very cunning plans to make sure you will still get episodes. Um, they may be entertaining episodes. <laughs> yes. yes, yes. I am doing 100,000 words during NaNoWriMo this year for the second time. Oh my god. Alex is Spiders Georg and we do not talk to Alex about no, this fact. No. But you two both have OT3 books in the works, but I am much more of a love triangles person. So what do you, what's um more attractive for you about the love triangle versus the OT3? Like what's the sort of compelling point of that for you? I'm not sure if it's necessarily more, but I mean, my disaster bisexual ass loves having at least two relationships in any given book. Mm -hmm because there are many genders, but hey, if I'm going to have a character who wants to be with many different genders, I want to demonstrate at least two flavors of yeah. that. But I find that love triangles get a really rough reputation as being trashy in the similar way to like romance novels and YA, and that makes me grumpy. So I'm always determined to kind of do them better. Yes. So what makes a good love triangle in fiction? It depends what you're trying to do with a love triangle, but for me, a love triangle is completely not about the relationships. It's about the main character making a decision about who they are. Oh, yes. It's like an identity thing. Yes. And for me, the relationships or even the other characters are almost a metaphor. That makes a lot of sense. And to me, that's what it's for. So, for example, in my book Hagstone, I have arguably a love triangle in which the main character's final decision is very symbolic of the fact that she's embracing who she really is rather than trying to fake and do what she should do. Mm. She decides to have the relationship that maybe doesn't look as proper, but is what she really wants, as opposed to having the one that would be straight 
and more appropriate. And I think that that might be why a lot of the love triangles that people write don't work because they don't realize that aspect of it. They don't realize mm -hmm. that it's functioning as a metaphor for the center person in this tri that's triangle, the person who has to make the choice. It's just like, ooh, which one will she choose? Or they only do it as a metaphor and forget that those people also have to be people. Also that, yes. I think that's where it falls down for me. And it's because mm -hmm. I much prefer reading stories where you've got, if you're going to do a central relationship and you want the relationship to be strong and important, I want both of those people to feel as large as one another. And, right. and that's just that's just a personal thing. And obviously for most books, there are there are a lot more single point of view books, especially in in YA where the main character is the important one and their journey is the important one. I just prefer books where you've got two people having uh, a similar strength of importance and similar journeys. And if you have a love triangle and something like that, then either you've got an extra person who's always just going to seem a little bit like a cardboard cutout, or you've got one person being a metaphor for the other person, unless you can do that both ways, which you kind of could, but it would make things a bit complicated. No, I, pre I prefer to each person to be a full person <laughs> and nobody to be a metaphor. <laughs> well, I mean, I, w I will say that there are definitely some pieces of media with love triangles that make me want to shake them and say, just marry both of them. Yes. I am talking about the movie, which I, listen, I take a lot of airplane flights places. I take a lot of planes. I watch a lot of questionable movies. This is Bridget Jones's Baby. I think that's my best friend's favorite movie. So it's legit. No, like, it's, I enjoy it. I realize I will never get either of you two to watch it because it has the word baby in the title. Well, I might watch it because I love the original Bridget Jones books, the first two, enormously. And I love the first Bridget Jones movie enormously, but I refuse to read the book, the third book, the, the Bridget Jones baby book, partly because of the word baby and partly because I read the blurb and was <laughs> like, Haha, no. I have no experience whatsoever with Bridget Jones in any form. Okay, the, the first two books are so good. They're okay. Jane Austen fan fiction. Yes. They basically are just Jane Austen fan fiction, and right. I found this movie charming. Um, basically, all of the main characters from the first movie are now like, what, 38, 40? And there is some confusion as to who has fathered Bridget's baby. Um, there are two gentlemen, and both of them commence wooing. And at the <laughs> end, <laughs> like, it's a mystery. Uh, whose baby is it? Um, at the end, like, she, she has the baby, and there is a wedding with one of them. And I'm like, the boys actually have chemistry with one another? Which is what makes me go, and then they kiss, mm. maybe? Mm. Macy, have you seen the movie Bandits? I have not. This is one of my favourite movies. It is about heists and also threesomes. So it really would fit in quite well with the theme of this episode. It's a fairly oldish movie. It's got Bruce Willis, uh, Billy Bob Thornton, and Kate Blanchett. This is one of my favourite Kate Blanchett roles of all time. And it is about a pair of bank robbers who accidentally kidnap a bored housewife. And she falls in love with both of them and becomes part of their bank robbery crew. And at the oh. end, she essentially says, you know, what I love about you is that you are sensitive and caring. And what I love about you is that you're, you know, assertive and manly. And if I put you together, you are the perfect man. And why should I have to choose? And she essentially marries both of them on a beach in Mexico. Spoilers love for it. the ending. But like, it's definitely that's... got a tone of a movie that's going to end nicely. But it is delightful. And there are some love triangles where that is the clear best outcome but i assert that there are also sometimes where either a v relationship 
is potentially better. Like you can still have polyam and not not have to close the triangle. Or you really did need to choose because you are in conflict with yourself by trying to maintain both of these branches at once. Yeah, yeah. No, bandits is very much a V, but a V that's basically saying that the, the whole point of having to choose one person is stupid. Yes, I agree. It's so good. <laughs> we should watch it together. Come on, it's 20 gay teen, people. <laughs> Polyamory is an option. Stop being cowards. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. I'm recording the intro and outro speeches on my brand new microphone. Ooh, how's it sound? I'm having to pick up audio engineer skills, and even after 19 episodes, I still don't really know what I'm doing. Uh, hmm? What's that? Yes, 19 episodes. And you know what that means. Two weeks hence, on October 24th, it's the episode 20 extravaganza. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, we are recording on October 12th, so if you have any questions to send in, you'd better hop to it. Email those questions, tweet them at us, send them in a Tumblr ask, snail mail, eh, carrier pigeons, probably not, flag semaphore, no, I don't know semaphore. Morse code, I mean, if you have to. Get us those questions, though, one way or another. We're really looking forward to them, and I don't want Macy and Freya to talk to me about math. And yes, there is one more corner in this episode, and it's Alex's Fun Facts Shameless Self-Promotion Corner, and it's happening right the fuck now. Are you ready? I'm sure you've all been waiting breathlessly for months now, I know I have, but in 13 days, one day before the extravaganza episode, it's my book launch. On October 23rd, A Conspiracy of Truths is coming out in ebook, hardback, and audiobook. If you can't buy it right now, don't feel bad. You can still help out. Bull your friends into buying it, recommend the book to your local library, or, you know, just shout about it on social media. Word of mouth is a fearsome and powerful form of advertising. Also, if you happen to be in the New England area, I am going to be having a book launch party at Pandemonium Books and Games in Boston at 7pm on Thursday, October 25th. I want to see all your beautiful faces there. Yes, I will sign your book. Yes, I will sign your cat. Yes, I will sign parts of your body, but only ones which are appropriate to display in public. What else? Uh, oh, you probably know the drill by now, right? Our email address is serpentcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter and Tumblr as at serpentcast. There's a fan Discord chat linked on the About the Show page of our website where you can come hang out with us and some of the coolest nerds we know. And hey, that word of mouth thing I mentioned earlier, tell your friends about us. Your friends are probably nerds too. They like this sort of stuff. And hey, you know what the best threesome is? You. Me and an extra-large pizza. We should make that happen. But, like, in a platonic way. No one's fucking the pizza.